0: glad you're with us. If this is your first time with us, we're really excited that you've decided to to join us and worship with us today. Uh, We are entering into our Advent teaching series. Um, We just finished up a series called Pass the Baton, talking about 1 Timothy and how... um, Paul had kind of given 1 Timothy as almost like a real-world seminary teaching for his protege, Timothy, to carry on the work that that God had called him to do. And now we're moving into, um, about a week late due to some some cancellations due to protests, uh, our our Advent teaching series. So uh, we're going to begin... Today, if you have your Bible, your Bible app, we're in Isaiah chapter 9. That seems like a weird place to start, talking about Christmas, I know, right? Normally, we'd start off in Luke chapter 2, because that's the Christmas story. But I think once you start to look at this, it may start to make a little more sense. You know, um, the the birth of Jesus is what we celebrate during the Advent season. And it's not just the birth of another man who lived 2,000 years ago, but it's the monumental shift... And humanity's relationship with God. And that's why there's such a a weight to it. And and, and if you start to read Scripture through the lenses of knowing that Jesus is Messiah and knowing that what God is going to do in Jesus, through Jesus, will affect all of our lives because of Jesus— all of a sudden the Old Testament starts to change and it starts to, 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 you start to see a shift in how you view what God is speaking about through all of the first half of Scripture. You know, uh, biblical scholars, uh, depending on who you ask, say that, that throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, there are anywhere between 472 to 565 references from the original text of Messiah's coming coming to save God's people. Prophecies, implications, nuances, things that are said that this is is the condition of humanity and God is going to come and save and redeem his people. Up to 500 times. And so today we're going to look at all 500 times, okay? So I hope you're here. I hope you brought a lunch, all right? No, I'm kidding. We're just going to take a look, actually, um, over the coming days at, at just a few of them. And, and, and one of them begins in Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to start reading in verse 2, but really kind of the bulk of where we're going to hang out is going to be in, in verse, uh, in verses, in, basically in verse 6. And I think you'll see where we're going. But we're going to start... In verse 2, just so you can kind of have an understanding or an on-ramp onto this passage and see where we're going, this will get us up to speed. Now Isaiah says this, generations, remember, generations before Jesus was even born. It says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You, that's God, you will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you and people, as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery. He's talking about your slavery there, by the way. And lift the heavy burden from your shoulders. You, God, will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will, be all bur- will all be burned. There will be fuel for the fire. That's because there won't be any war. It will usher in peace. That's the significance and the symbolism in that. And then here's where we're going to stay for a while. It says, for us, as for you, for me, for all of humanity, a child is born to us. A son, God's son, is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then look how he wraps it up here in verse 7. It says, his government and its peace will never end. That's why we can burn our military uniforms. They're unnecessary. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. So that's where we're going to be. We're going to look at verse 6. For us, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called. And this is what we're going to look at. These are the names that Jesus is known at. His reputation is. As, a fa- as God's son, are of this wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And so, Isaiah talks about, through this, the coming kingdom that the Messiah will usher in. The Messiah was the chosen one that God chose to redeem all of his people. And it's interesting, what he talks about at first is about how the government rest on his shoulders. And I want us to start just maybe there and touch on that for a little bit. The government that what Isaiah is talking about there is, is so oftentimes we tend to, 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 to limit what that is. And, and for our own context, for most people's context, the word government is this organization that I have to pay taxes to, that tells me how fast or how slow I can drive my car, that is gonna find me if I jaywalk, that is gonna, you know, set for the most part, set the fees on the MTR. It's, it's, it's these people that I have to pay the water bill to, right? That's what we think of when we think of government. But, but I want to expand your view of what government is. I don't want you to limit that, okay? What I want you to think of when you see the word government throughout this, this passage of Scripture is that the government is who you give the right to rule in your life government is who you submit your life to and who you allow to rule and dictate and determine the outcourse of your life so generations before Jesus was born Isaiah is saying this he say that for us a child is born a son is given to us And the right to rule our lives, humanity's lives, will rest on his shoulders. Can you hear that kingdom talk, that kingdom mindedness? Again, government, think of it this way. Government is who you decide ultimately has the final say in your life. Okay? And so this is kind of, so what we see is this is what is going to happen because of Jesus. And then we start to describe like his traits or his characteristics, maybe his nicknames or, or what he's known as. And it's interesting, the very first one is wonderful counselor, isn't it? And I think it's very telling. I think it's very intentional. It's not an accident that the first trait of Jesus, the first nickname that he has been given as Messiah is wonderful counselor. And I think we, we can kind of tend to lose that, that, that sense and the weight of that. So what I want us to do today is two things. I want us to talk about those two words. We want to answer the question, what is wonder? Because that's the root word of wonderful, right? And then what is, what is counselor? So we'll start there. Number one, what is wonder? You know, we live in an era, we live in a time when, when words are tend to forgive me for my brashness, but, but words are prostituted around in today's world and are used as trends and, and, and used as, as buzzwords, right? Words like passion, love, and the big one is authenticity, right? We tend to use those words until their, their original meaning is worn out. And, and so we, we've kind of worn out, what wonderful really is, and we just tend to think of it as, well, it's kind of a nice day, (laughs) right? That's what we associate the word wonderful with is, oh, it's pleasant. It's only about 23 degrees. There's a nice breeze and there's no pollution today. It's wonderful. When we think of wonderful in that context, we've lost the, the scale of what wonder really is. So what is wonder? Well, what, we did, what I did is whenever I'm not really sure, I'll go back to the root word in the original text. I, I know it's hard to believe, but the Bible was not given to us in English or in Chinese. So I went back to the original text, which in this case in the Old Testament is in Hebrew. And so the Hebrew word for wonderful can also be translated as hidden or miracle or too high. Right? It takes on a bigger scale, a depth that we've missed if we just think of pleasant, right? And, and so all of a sudden you start to see that that word too is actually used just a, just a few chapters before, or books before that in the book of Jeremiah. Whenever God is talking to Jeremiah, God is saying, is there anything too high for me? Is there anything too hard for me? That's the same word that he uses here in Isaiah. You see, wonder has a depth to it. It's an overwhelming sense of awe. It's an overwhelming sense of awe, and it's not always the biggest thing, right? We can be filled with wonder over the smallest of things, too. Oftentimes, we, we tend to, in our world, get, get wonderful and excitement way too intermingled. And we tend to think if we're all excited, then something is wonderful, Right? If I, got a, if, I got a, if I got a raise at work, that means I get a little bit extra money at the end of the month. That's, that's excitement, and I get to go decide what I'm going to spend it on, and that's wonderful. And we tend to think that, that wonder is associated with the bigger things. But in Scripture, that's not always the case. I'm reminded of the interaction between, uh, between um, um, wow, I just totally blanked. I put Elijah in, in this passage in my notes, but it's not Elijah. Um, Whenever God's prophet, I'm sure it'll come to me in a minute, Um, if not, maybe you can shout it out and we'll just get through this together, okay, folks? We're in this together, right? All right. Um, Whenever God's prophet, God said, I want to come and I want to show myself and reveal myself to you, and he was hiding in a cave, right? Elijah, yeah. Yeah, it was Elijah. Okay. This is what you get for doubting yourself. So always believe in yourself, all right? Believe in your notes, okay? Sorry. Um, I'm a little scattered today. <laughs> um, Eli- the Lord says to Elijah, I'm gonna reveal myself to you. And so he calls him out and puts, and, 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 Mos- and Elijah stands in front in the mouth of a cave. And, and, and all of a sudden there is this storm and there is this lightning and there is this typhoon that ripped by. There was this earthquake, these large, large, big, big things. But what does scripture say? The Lord was not in the earthquake. The Lord was not in the storm. But where was he? He was in the still, small voice, right? Some translations see that as God was in the still. That God was in the stillness. Now, I can't think of anything smaller than stillness. But it changed Elijah's life because he was full of wonder. So, wonder is not the biggest and the best, right? So, if that's not what wonder is. What is it? Is that well, what I've described as wonder reminds you just how small you are in the scope of God. Wonder reminds you. When you compare yourself to God, how small you are. You See, the first step to knowledge is feeling that wonder. Because what happens is when we are filled with wonder, it makes us realize, I don't have it all together. I don't understand this. There's a lot of things that, that don't make sense to me, but I want to make sense of it. And so the first step into having a knowledge of God is to be filled with wonder for who God is. And my prayer for you this week has been, God, I pray that you would make this church a church that is filled with wonder over who you are. Because ultimately, he's a God that we can never get our arms around and grasp fully, right? We don't have enough days. If you came, if you were... Born onto this earth with an immediate sense of urgency, I've got to know everything I know about God, to, there is to know about God. You could live thousands and thousands of years and never scratch the surface of fully embracing and understand the full knowledge of God. But that's why he gives us eternity. Because that's how long it will take for you and I to grasp and to comprehend the fullness, the the expansiveness, the greatness of God. And that is should be your hope in this season is that your hope is because of what Jesus has done, we have the opportunity to spend an eternity trying to get our arms around and understanding the fullness of wonder of God. And that's interesting that that's the first word that is used to describe Jesus. Other translations say wonderful, comma, counselor. So you could almost just, we could almost just put a pin in it today and say, that's who Jesus is. He's incomprehensible. And when we look at him, it makes us feel small. And I love that they, they, he's described not as this conquering warrior, this maneuvering politician, right? This superhero with a cape. He's described as what? for? a child is born to us. So don't don't confuse excitement with wonder anymore starting today, okay? Can we work on that vocabulary lesson? Yeah? Because that's where God wants you to begin your walk with him is is in a sense of wonder. Maybe that's what you need to start praying. God, let 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 me get a glimpse of just how small I am compared to you. That when I compare myself with you, it, it, it changes me. Because then every other name will just be built upon. So he's a wonderful counselor. So that's the second word. First step to knowledge is the feeling of wonder because it, it sparks something in you to want to know more. And then the second word that he's used is, so he's a, he's a, he's a awe-inspiring counselor. And that's interesting that that's the first kind of description that we see about the one who's called to save humanity, right? To me, I would start it off as someone who's just, someone who's going to put the enemy in his place, someone who's got my back, someone who this, that, and the other. But, he, but what, what the first reputation of Jesus is as an awe-inspiring counselor. So that moves us to our second word. That's the word counselor. And so the the, the Greek, sorry, the Greek the, the original text, the Hebrew word for, for counselor is yo vets. Look at your neighbor and say yo vets. Yo vets. All right, remember it this way. You got a friend named Vets and you haven't seen him in a while and you say yo, all right? Yo vets means to advise. And there's two different words interpretations there's two different ways that you could see counselor in this right first one is also connected with the second one but whenever you hire a lawyer what are they known as they're your counselor in in, in a court case right they are, their job is to represent you when standing before the judge because somewhere along the line there was a conflict between you and another party that couldn't be settled. So you had to bring your case before the judge and the, and the lawyer's job is to be the representative of the client because the, the lawyer has a greater understanding of the law and the implications of the law than the client does. So the client says, "Will you represent me before the judge. They're known as your legal counsel, right? And so whenever he's speaking to the judge in the the courtroom, he's speaking on behalf of the client. He's representing the client. He's arguing and vouching for the client. And that's exactly the role that Jesus is playing for you right now. He sits beside his father, the judge, in heaven. Is saying, Look what they're doing. Hey, look, look, did you see? They're listening to you. They're obeying you. Look, they realize they've messed up and they've asked you to forgive them. God, Dad, will you please forgive them? He's vouching for you. He's your heavenly representation right now before the judge. And this, you know, the second implication, and they both have the root word in what we have today, the, the Yovets, is, is counselor. Right? And, and a counselor is someone that you can sit with whenever you're stuck. Whenever the situations of life, the circumstances of life, the hardness of life, your wounds, your baggage trip you up and don't allow you to continue to go forward you can you can sit down with a counselor and has an objective third party you can share with them probably what you're not comfortable sharing with anybody else and they're able to say look let's work through this together they're an advocate for you And let me just tell you this, as someone who has gone through counseling and believes in counseling and is married to a counselor, it is absolutely critical. And it's nothing to be ashamed of to, find, to say, I'm, I, I, I can't figure this out on my own. And I need to go, I, I don't want to be stuck anymore. I don't want to be held back anymore. I don't want to be in bondage anymore. And I'm going to do whatever it takes. And so that means pouring out my heart for someone that will listen to me and believe in me, then it's worth it. There's a stigma, unfortunately, around counseling that, that something's got to be really wrong with you in order to go to therapy, right? I want to, uh, man, I hope, that, I hope that you can throw that lie straight back to hell. Because let me ask you this question. Do you think it's a, which, 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 which um, statement do you think sounds more in alignment with the things of Scripture? Okay, you, you be the judge of this. You have messed up so incredibly bad that if people really, if someone knew just how wrong you've messed up, they would never see you the same way again. You've got to keep this to yourself and there's nothing that you need to do to show just the state that you're currently in. Don't you dare share this with anybody else. Or... wow, it sounds like you've been really broken. It sounds like there's some things in your life that have really fallen apart. I hate that that's happened to you. Let's try to walk this out together. Let's try to figure out and put the pieces back together and, and see which, what we can do to help you get back up on your feet and walk in victory again. Because I guess you've tried to do it on your own and it's got you to this point. I'd love to help you walk through that. You tell me which sounds like it's an alignment from Scripture and which is a lie born from the pit of hell that is going to be used to keep you from living the life that God wants you to live. Right? What, is, what does Scripture call Satan? Satan's the father of lies. It means he invented lying, he owns the patent and the copyright on lying. And he knows that a lie, when believed to be true, will affect your life as if it were true. A lie, when believed to be true, is going to affect your life as if it were truth. And so if if Satan can, can convince you of the lie that you've done too much, too wrong, too bad, you're too far gone, and there's no way that you can expose that part of your life to somebody else. You've got to keep it to yourself. He wants you to believe that because he knows he'll keep you isolated. And we've talked about it for years in this church. God never calls us to do anything of significance on our own. We were not created to experience life by ourselves. That's why there's no roller coasters with just one seat, right? That's what makes it an amazing event whenever you go and you sit down in a sporting event with tens of thousands of other people at a seat that's not nearly as comfortable as your couch and you're paying prices for food that are way more expensive than the food that's in your fridge and the quality at home is going to be way better Right? And the view on your TV is going to be infinitely better than your little stacked seat that, you, that you're sitting in. But why do we pay all that money to do these things? Because we were wired, you were wired to share experiences with other people. Right? Thank you. God didn't create you to be by yourself. He created you as a relational person. And because you live in a broken, sinful world, oftentimes that means you start to have hurts and hang-ups and wounds that you can't fix on your own. And God recognizes that. And that's why Jesus' second nickname is that of counselor. He's there to be the one who advocates for you. Who argues for you in front of the judge, who vouches for you. He's also the one who listens to you. And as someone who has been on both chairs in the counseling room, right? The one being counseled and or the one seeking counseling and the one counseling. Let me just tell you this. Oftentimes, when I'm the one doing the counseling, The simplest minor changes in someone's life have the most enormous effects in their life. But the reason why just a simple, well, just don't do that, or why don't you do that? Changes people is because they're so stuck in, and, and they're not able to see clearly. Because of their wounds, because of their brokenness, because of their bondage, they, just because they're tired That's why we need people that we can trust, that we can speak into this, and that's exactly who Jesus is. And so, when we talk about the God who that who we can rest our lives on His shoulders, that the right to rule our life can rest on his shoulders and he be an awe-inspiring advocate for you. Doesn't that change the way that you view what wonderful counselor means? Doesn't that change the way you start to, and I hope it does. I hope that that you are having a life-changing experience right now. If, if you come to church and you're not expecting God to do something amazing in your life, it's not God's fault. It's yours. I hope that today is beginning to be a wake-up call for you. That whenever you can start to to, whenever you go home today, whenever you start to read through the New Testament whenever you start to read through the Gospels this week and whenever whenever you're spending your personal time with the Lord and you see these recorded interactions of Jesus with people during his three years of earthly ministry and you see how he responds to people, how he reacts to people, how he loves and pursues people, you'll see it because he's the wonderful, awe-inspiring, make-me-feel-super-small-but-want-to-know-more-about-you counselor, advocate, friend. Just so you know, the goal is to explain these names of Jesus to you so that when you take the time and the effort and the intentionality to spend time seeking the Lord through reading Scripture, it changes your perception. It's almost like the, 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 the prescription lenses of your spiritual life don't work anymore because you, you've been exposed to these things about Jesus. And whenever you put on these new prescription lenses, all of a sudden things are changed. How many of you with, with glasses can experience that, right? How many of you, the first time, just think of the first time you got the glasses, right? For me, it was like this. I, I put them on and all of a sudden it was, whoa, there's bricks, right? You're not as ugly as I thought you were, you know? <laughs> Things are clearer now. Now, I hope that your encounter with God today We give you a new set of spiritual prescription lenses for your life. And it begins with Jesus being the awe inspiring advocate, representative, the counselor. Let's pray. Jesus, the thing that's exciting to me, and awe-inspiring, and wonderful to me, is that that was—that's just your first name, your first nickname, your first reputation. The next, as we read on throughout the coming weeks, knowing you as as everlasting Father, as Prince of Peace, as the Mighty God, puts such a surge of the of of wonder in my spirit. And I just I God I think it's so telling, I think it's so fitting, I think it's so just poetic that as we begin our our study, as we begin our journey of advent and celebrating your birth, we're going to physically and tangibly as a church community Celebrate your, your, your death and resurrection through communion. That, that you were born so that by your stripes, by your wounds, we would be healed. We remember with great awe, with great wonder, that you willingly took our punishment on so that you could be our counselor. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you are representing us to God the Father right now and that you are here for us as the counselor now. God, I pray that you would steady our hearts, center our hearts on on the completion of what the cross has brought us. Lord, we are filled with thanks and filled with wonder. We love you. That's in Jesus' name we pray.